Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And if you would like to be a part of the program, I have lots of contact links in the description of this show. And you can always call the listener hotline and leave a message there, 303-832-0217. Of course, you could always... Uh, rate and review and repeat the podcast as that would be appreciated. Uh, are you a fan or not a fan of the roundabout team roundabout? Yes or no? As Dr. Kelsey Ralph uh, said last uh, last episode, I-, I am for sure, definitely for for many reasons. Most notably that they keep traffic moving. Uh, I think the best way to reduce traffic delays is to keep traffic flowing. And reduce the number of traffic lights, stop signs, and roundabouts accomplish that. Another person who loves them is Rhonda, who called the Driving You Crazy listener hotline to express her feelings. Hi, my name is Rhonda, and it's uh, something that's driving me crazy for sure. Roundabouts and how people have no clue how to drive in them. You feel like you guys could sure reach a lot of people by putting it on the news, um, suggesting people to... Uh, drive correctly, use their turn signal, know when to go, know when to stop. It's crazy, and it's driving me crazy. That's a really great uh, great line you guys have. Anyway, you can give me a call back, or you don't have to call me back, but please consider uh, making issue of it to reach the masses. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Well, thank you, Rhonda, for your comments. And uh, guess what? I think you are right. We should talk about all things roundabout. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to be speaking to another person who loves roundabouts, the mayor of Carmel, Indiana. Not Carmel, that's in California. This is mayor of Carmel, Indiana, small town in northern Indiana, north of Indianapolis. Mayor James Brainerd has installed, get this, 140 roundabouts in his town over his seven year, seven terms, not seven years. He's, he's been in office for seven terms, seven four-year terms. We're talking almost 30 years or about 30 years as mayor. And you can imagine that he is a huge fan of roundabouts, saying that his roads are now much safer, especially for pedestrians than other signalized intersections. Um, So I want to get his perspective on all things roundabout, because I I do think they are a great way to keep traffic flowing. And, and, and we, as we talked about last episode and other episodes to, if, if they do help to reduce the uh, number of pedestrian deaths, then maybe it's something worth looking at, right. As, as a solution. Now, I don't know if it would be uh, a solution for bigger cities. I think it'd be tougher to have a three or four, uh, you know, lane road into a roundabout. That might be a challenge. Uh, so we'll see anyway, how it all works out for uh, mayor Brainerd. Uh, coming up in just a bit. And and just ahead of Mayor Brainerd, uh, the State Patrol here in Colorado, they released the top five casual crash factors for the state's youngest drivers. And I imagine we would ha- see similar numbers in many states across the country. And they say that new drivers lack maturity and experience behind the wheel. Uh, yeah, I, I, definitely. Uh, and that teen drivers have a higher rate of fatal crashes and they make a lot of mistakes. As with anything when you're younger and you don't have a lot of experience with doing something, same thing happens with driving. That's why their insurance rates are so high. Looking at the crashes investigated by the Colorado State Patrol in 2021, 
for at-fault drivers ages 16 to 21, troopers say these are the top five factors. Should we do this in uh, reverse order or uh, or one to one to five? Let's do it in the, let's do it in the uh, reverse order, uh, like uh, on uh, the Letterman top 10, right? All right, so number five, the number five top factor, failure to yield right of way. Big problem because they don't get it. Actually working on a story uh, about how somebody asked me this question. When you're coming up to a two-way stop, okay, and you have cross traffic that d- is not stopping, so it's just two-way, not a four-way, it's a two-way stop, and and you want to make a left. Well, the person across from you wants to go straight. Okay, fine, you yield to that driver. Well, what if another driver, and then another driver, as you're waiting to turn left, and another driver comes up to that same intersection, and every time that there's a break in traffic, th- those people are going straight, preventing you from going left, because... Do you still do you, do you have to yield the right of way? That that was the question. Do you still have to yield the right of way, even if people are are queuing up, coming up to that uh, two way stop? And so that was that was the ultimate question. And we we can go into that. I'll I'll bring that up uh, in another edition of this uh, fine program when, when I go back to the mailbag sometime. All right. Anyway, back to the uh, top five factors for uh, young people getting into crashes. All right. Number five was failure to yield right of way. Number four, lane violations, often an indicator of impairment, speeding, or distracted driving. Number three, speeding. <laughs> that's that's interesting. I, I could see some kids, they, they like to, uh, especially when they start getting into the 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old drivers, they like to start seeing how fast their car can go. And when you're first driving 15, 16, 17, you're still a little nervous, still freaked out a bit. And then when you start getting comfortable, with, like with anything, uh, you think you can just go uh, floor and see how fast you're exploring the speed um, of the vehicles. All right, number two, following too closely. Oh, I'll bet that a lot of that happens with uh, their buddies as they're, they're trying to <laughs> blow out of school and get over to lunch. And the number one issue uh, with teen drivers having a high rate of fatal crashes is distracted driving. Yay, that's everybody is distracted driving. It doesn't matter if you're a teen, where they say you're not supposed to have your uh, phone, I think, even on while you're driving, Uh, but reduce or uh, restrict how many people are in the car with you and all that. But distracted driving is a huge issue for kids uh, and and why they get into crashes, especially fatal crashes. Uh, The Colorado State Patrol says it's not uncommon to see a less experienced driver overestimate their abilities and get caught up in trying to impress their friends by going too fast, following too closely, doing a little racing, and letting friends distract them or their phones distract them, and that's why they get into so much trouble. Uh, Anyway, last week we talked about the high number of pedestrian fatalities all across the country. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration released some information saying that the traffic fatalities in the United States last year reached their highest level since 2005. Among the cities bucking that grisly trend is Carmel, Indiana, and the city's seven-term mayor, Jim Brainerd. Jim says the answer can be found in the more than 140 roundabouts the city has installed, replacing all but a few of the city's traffic lights and four-way stop signs. To talk more about his passion for roundabouts, why they're safer, the pros and some cons about roundabouts, is the mayor of Carmel, Indiana, Mayor James Brainerd. Mayor, thank you so much for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. 
It's great to be with you. Before we get into the details about the specific advantages of roundabouts, how did you become interested in this idea? Was <laughs> well, well, I mean, it had to be well before you were mayor, right? Was was there some kind of a spark that that hit you that goes roundabouts are the answer? Well, when I was in graduate school, I had the opportunity to spend some time in England, and I saw them in use there. And I was a history major and a lawyer. I knew nothing about civil engineering, but then I became mayor in 1996 and uh, suddenly started to study these things. I asked lots of questions of our uh, civil engineers. They were not familiar with them. We found some articles uh, and decided to try some. I, I just, by observation, you can see they're more efficient, which means you don't have to widen the lane. So many times I think the civil engineers answer to congestion, you know, they get a call from a mayor or a city council member. We, there's a problem. We got to do something. They widen lanes. And all they're doing is building a bigger parking lot to get more cars through the green cycle of the light. And with a roundabout that moves 50% more cars per hour, you don't have to add all those lanes. And we'll talk more in specifics about how these are working for your town and some of the advantages. Do you remember, you said you, you were in Europe. Do you, do you remember your first roundabout and what that experience was like? Well, I was in a friend's uh, car. I think we were driving, you know, of course, driving the wrong side of the road. But he was from France, so the steering wheel was on the wrong side for England. But we went through some roundabouts. And thought, these are pretty cool. They work well. Did you ever have trouble or your friend at that point driving through them ever have trouble navigating them? No, not at all. You know, I think most accidents are caused by, you know, serious accidents, particularly pedestrian accidents or result of speeds. And we've built roads in the United States for years. The bigger and the faster, the better. And we probably need to rethink that, uh, particularly in our urban areas. And as you said, when when you became mayor, you were thinking, all right, maybe roundabouts are a way to get people to slow down. I've always said if you make people feel uh, uncomfortable while they're driving in, in on, a, <laughs> on a road that's narrow or where they have to navigate certain turns, and then, then they'll naturally slow down and you don't have to worry about speed limits and, and, and enforcing speed limits. So what was the reaction when you came to the city council and said, hey, I have this great idea for our town and how we can change the way drivers behave. Well, we were building a new road in a yet then undeveloped area of the city. And under our system, I'm in essence, a city manager in Indiana. Uh, Colorado has a system of city managers, but the elected mayors uh, fill that role here. And so we just, I informed the city council, but we just uh, put two roundabouts on this new road and people really didn't see it. In, until it opened, because it was in an undeveloped area, and people liked it. We couldn't take out a roundabout today if we wanted to. Uh, communities really embraced them. Uh, they liked the fact it moves traffic better. They liked the fact they look better. And most importantly, I think they liked the fact it was so much safer. My guest is Mayor James Brainerd. He's the mayor of Carmel, Indiana. We're talking about roundabouts and how many they have in his town. Uh, do you think education was a key component of the first roundabouts that were starting to be installed there in Carmel? Was was that an issue for you to try to get people to learn how to use them when they had never seen them before? Absolutely. And our city was a lot smaller then, so I found a... Uh, videotape from a city in England that told people how to use them. Of course, you're going in the wrong way, but all the other 
uh, principles are correct. And so we actually put those on our government access television channel and, and use those until we had our own materials made public. We'd use print materials, we had art, you know, evergreen articles or articles that could be used with slow times in the newspapers and magazines. And we really worked hard at public education, a lot of one-on-ones and neighborhood association meetings and, and, uh, the community, uh, listened and embraced them and is very excited today i think to be considered the roundabout capital of the united states but but back then there had to be some pushback i would imagine from some folks that were especially maybe the older drivers that said what are you doing with this newfangled way (laughs) i mean right i mean there had to be some pushback there was of course pushback anytime you know government makes a decision and a uh, a represent a form of representative government like this are going to be people that disagree, but that's the beauty of our system. Uh, we, uh, fortunately, a majority of the people uh, uh, listened and, and uh, paid attention and analyzed the data themselves that uh, were provided and, and uh, have been very positive about the initiative. Speaking of the data, let's let's talk about some of those numbers and how much lower are the numbers of crashes in the past, let's say, 10 and 15 years since you've started installing the roundabouts and, and folks have been getting used to them? Well, our city has grown from 20,000 people to over 100,000 people. So we have benchmarked against national averages and averages of fatalities from other cities in our state of Indiana. Uh, the national average of traffic fatalities in the United States is between 11 and 12 per 100,000 per year. In other words, 11 to 12 people out of every 100,000 die in traffic fatalities every year in the United States. That's the national average. Uh, Our five-year trailing average is two fatalities per 100,000, roughly one between one-fifth and one-sixth of the national average. And we uh, attribute that to our roundabout program. It's all about speed and everybody has to slow down. You know, human error rate doesn't change that much, but it's, it's the type of accident you get. And at the roundabouts, we get slow speed accidents at a stoplight when that human error rate kicks in. You know, I joke when I talk to audience sometimes that anybody in this audience ever speed up to go through a yellow light? Of course not. Uh, of course, we've all done it. We know we've all done it. We speed up when we see a green light before it turns yellow. We speed up to go through a pink light. We all do this. So if it was one out of every 100,000. You know, there's an accident. That accident can be very serious because somebody has just gunned their car. At the roundabout, everyone has to slow down. And because of slower speeds, there's more response time. The roundabout, when built correctly, you're angled as you go into the roundabout and angled as you go out of the roundabout. So the crash, if there is one, tends to be a uh, side swipe, not a T-bone type of accident. How are these roundabouts, as I'm speaking with Mayor James Brainerd of Carmel, Indiana, how are they safer for pedestrians than a signalized intersection that forces drivers to stop before a pedestrian starts walking across the street because in a roundabout you have to wait for a driver to see you and then stop and pay attention before you cross the road and while you're crossing the street could could it be more difficult for an elderly person or or any pedestrian to try to cross on a roundabout than at a signalized intersection where they are, are, are have to stop at the red light 
Well, the data shows us that roundabouts are safer for everyone, drivers and pedestrians. The, the difference is, again, speed. Uh, there's a false sense of safety, I think, in the crosswalk at a traffic light. Uh, I've taught myself when I'm in a different setting at a traffic light, I look to make sure the cars that are coming towards that intersection actually stop. If someone's texting or not paying attention and blows through that crosswalk at a high rate of speed, the chances of that pedestrian surviving are very low at 40, 50, 60 miles an hour. At 30 miles is a little bit uh, higher chance to survive on. It gets better as the speeds go down. At a roundabout, everyone, again, that's driving a car or a truck has to slow down. And there's another advantage, too. There's that little island. Uh, you know, the, the uh, pedestrian crosswalk in a roundabout is always one car length back from the entrance to the circle. And there's a little triangular island, so you only have to look one way, look in one direction, walk out to the island, which is sort of a place of refuge, and then look in the opposite direction to cross the other half of the street. But uh, the data that we see and the data that we've obtained uh, show that roundabouts, because of speeds, I believe, are safer than, uh, than crosswalks that signalize intersections. For me as a pedestrian, I've always found it a bit more challenging. As you know, roundabouts are great for keeping traffic flowing. And I think drivers maybe aren't used to seeing pedestrians all the time at certain areas. And, and they're, they're, they're more used to seeing traffic flow. And so the, the, it throws them off. And then, therefore, it could be a little bit more dangerous for a pedestrian trying to cross the street. I, I think it's more unsettling. But having both sides pay attention is probably a good thing which is why our, uh, we just haven't had fatalities at all at our uh, roundabout crossings. I, and I think, too, you know, in our heavily pedestrianized areas, we're doing a lot with signage, race, uh, crosswalks, so that speeds are forced down even more, and people that regularly drive those streets know they have to really slow down uh, because of those uh, race crosswalks. Uh, but, but it's working for us. It's working the pedestrian areas, and we're trying to get people to, even though it's not the law, we're trying to encourage people and they see somebody standing at the side waiting to cross to stop, let them cross. Right. That's a law in Colorado where you do see somebody standing wanting to cross, even without any lights or anything flashing you. The state law is to stop, let the person cross no matter what uh, the roadway is there. I agree with that. That's not our law here. I wish it were. My guest is Mayor James Brainerd of Carmel, Indiana. We're talking about roundabouts. In my last episode, I, I was speaking to Dr. Kelsey Ralph, and she's from Rutgers University. She studies transportation uh, there for Rutgers. And, and I mentioned to her that I was going to be speaking to you, and, and she asserts that roundabouts, even though she's a fan of them, increases the number of crashes overall, even as they reduce the number of serious crashes. What do you say to her assertion? the data doesn't support that assertion. Now, in certain intersections, we've had some issues where we've had to make some adjustments as we saw crash rates go up. But overall, uh, and these are national statistics as well, there's about a 70% decrease in overall crashes at roundabouts as contrasted to uh, signalized intersections. I always preach that one way to make drivers safer is to reduce or eliminate conflict points. And that also helps keep traffic flowing. So that's basically what you're doing. These 
roundabouts are just basically eliminating a lot of these conflict points that could cause problems. Well, that's a very astute observation. A roundabout has eight conflict points, assuming it's a four-way roundabout, going in, going out from all four directions. A a traffic light with left-hand turn uh, lanes and motions, which is the most dangerous movement on a road in the United States, has 32 conflict points. So one quarter the amount of conflict points in a roundabout as contrasted uh, to a signalized intersection. Uh, And that's one of the great advantages. So all of these safer roads then in your town must translate to then lower insurance costs for all of your residents, right? Yes, I believe they do. Uh, Most of it, of course, depends on the insurance company. Some look at it statewide, but others, I think, look at it by zip code. And in that sort of analysis, we fare very, very well. And you are just on the north side of Indianapolis where they do not have as many roundabouts. There must be some conflict between the folks that might be coming from there to Carmel uh, and and using the roundabouts, and then maybe is it conversely where the folks from Carmel are going to Indianapolis to shop or to go to work, and we wish that there were so (laughs) We wish you you in Indianapolis had had what we have in Carmel. Yes, I... You know, we have 150 corporate headquarters in Carmel, so we have a lot of commuters coming in from Indianapolis and other cities in the central Indiana uh, region. And and so we also have uh, quite a few large health medical facilities in Carmel. And so sometimes we see drivers from other places. You can almost tell they're very hesitant as they go into the roundabouts and they glass at the license plate. And there's a numbering system. You can see which county they're from. And you see the differences when people are not familiar with them. But what we find is that people have used a roundabout three or four times. They get very comfortable with it. The first time, I think, is it's different. And so uh, there is a bit of a learning curve there. But are they only good for a smaller size town like yours? At some point, the traffic volume of a specific street, a larger street, probably makes them too challenging to use, right? Well, I think what we've done... Uh, you can Google it and see it. it's called Keystone Parkway in Carmel. It's a high-speed road with tens of thousands of cars per day. In uh, US 31, which is a state highway in uh, uh, Carmel, we've, we've gone to a system of roundabout interchanges. Whether it's a signalized intersection or a roundabout intersection, at some point when the traffic volume gets to a certain point, you need to separate the grade of the two highways. Uh, for safety, uh, inconvenience, I think. So what we've done, we've lowered uh, the one street and and raised the other one with bridges or going underground. And then as you get off, it's like a thing about it, like an interstate interchange. As you get off, instead of coming to a stoplight, you come to a roundabout. And those are roundabout interchanges, and they've worked very well on our high-speed roads. As I'm looking at that, coming off of, uh, as you said, the Keystone uh, Parkway, you're just rolling down Carmel Drive, and you really don't see another traffic light until you get over to uh, if you're heading west to what Range Line Road, right? Well, uh, you're, that's old aerial photography oh. because that one got replaced just recently. Oh, okay, there you go. <laughs> you're you're going, you're moving faster than Google uh, Skyview. We are. We are. <laughs> Can you quantify the savings in electricity and maintenance and labor? by not having signalized intersections throughout most of the city? Of course, it depends on your electricity rates. 
but generally speaking, even with LED lights, uh, traffic lights are big energy hogs. They, you know, they run 24-7, and it has to have to be very powerful lights. So it's at least two or $3,000 a year per light that's being saved. When there's an electrical storm and the electricity goes off, the roundabouts continue to function. Traffic lights don't. Uh, you know, the other thing about a traffic light, it costs about 400000 today to put one in. Um, it's a nice traffic light with pedestrian signals and so on, but they're still very expensive. And that light's going to last 20 to 25 years and have to be replaced. And every few months, you're going to have to send a traffic engineer to that light, open up that box and adjust the timing. There's a lot of maintenance uh, to a traffic light. Uh, so the roundabouts are much less expensive to uh, maintain. Now, installation, if you're switching from a roundabout, uh, excuse me, from a four-way stop, uh, a roundabout's always going to be less expensive than a traffic light because you don't have the expense of the light. Um, on the other hand, if you're taking out a traffic light and putting in a roundabout, there's substantial cost there. Yeah, because the overall construction of the roundabout must be different than the traditional signalized intersection without all that equipment the labor of the putting up the poles and the signals and the junction boxes uh and do do they also take longer or a shorter amount of time to build talk me through the process of changing either a signalized intersection to a roundabout or just creating one and uh, what that process the construction process is like I think it's probably similar in that case. Uh, you know, the key is if there's businesses in the area, I like to close the road and get it done as quickly as possible. I'd rather have pain, you know, <laughs> people having to detour for a few weeks other than having it stretched out and do it one section at a time. Uh, that's always an issue whenever you do construction work. I, you know, the amount of time is probably about the same. But, uh, you know, the amount of pavement, that you use in uh, a roundabout versus a, a signalized intersection with turn lanes is roughly the same, might be 5% more with a roundabout. You know, each one's different where the each intersection is different regardless of it, whether it's a, a signal or roundabout. You have underground utilities that sometimes have to be moved. Uh, land has to be acquired. So each situation is different. But I was consulting with, with a... Uh, city in, uh, well, I can say here it is, California. They they wanted to add a roundabout one city, and I offered to help. They asked me to help them, and it took them three years to get that roundabout built. We try to get ours done in 45 days, so it depends on how the contract is bid and uh, that sort of thing as well. So other cities are then now following your lead and taking your example and, and trying to expand it into their uh, municipalities. I think the safety statistics are really being paid attention to by traffic engineers across the United States. And there's a large movement today to uh, add roundabouts uh, when funding's available to do so. And here's another point that I, I'd like to make to your listeners. We talk about the cost, say, converting a traffic light to a roundabout, maybe a million or two dollars, a lot of money. But yet, the gas that's saved by not idling and not starting that big, heavy vehicle from zero. Remember physics class when it takes more energy to go from zero to 15 miles per hour than it does from 15 to 30? Most people don't have to come to a complete stop at the roundabout most of the time. 
So there's tremendous gasoline savings. Not only is that better for the environment, it saves the public millions of dollars every year per roundabout. Is there a way for you to quantify that? I mean, do you really think that there has been a large um, savings of gasoline where you're not maybe selling as much gasoline in Carmel and then maybe the city is is, uh, losing out on some of that tax revenue? (laughs) <laughs> well, that goes to the state, so that's not my, I'm joking. But, you know, I'm glad to lose out on that tax revenue because we, we it's healthier for people not having those fumes. Uh, the amount of carbon going in the atmosphere that is reduced, that's a good thing. You know, much of our gas comes from other places, so that balance, it helps to balance the trade. There's all sorts of reasons why we need to cut down our fossil fuel use, in, in my opinion. But, uh New York Times did a story uh, last November 21st, front page, talking about Carmel, Indiana, and about the amount of carbon that is saved per roundabout. And it has been quantified, and it explains very nicely in that article. My guest is Mayor James Brainerd of Carmel, Indiana. We're speaking about roundabouts. You also have uh, a really a roundabout festivals there, roundabout week, <laughs> uh, ra- roundabout parties and celebrations. Tell me why you have a roundabout week and, and what happens during that week. We even had a roundabout conference where we had civil engineers from all over North America come to say our roundabouts. Uh, roundabout week is just fun. The community gets to celebrate our roundabouts. It's an opportunity for us to do some public education and, and re, you know, make the data available to people so they can, uh, new people move in and are curious about why we're building so many roundabouts. And it's an opportunity to celebrate what we've done and provide, uh, additional public information. And, and what else do you, do you have, uh, bands that play in the roundabout? Do you have, uh, people, you know, giving out cupcakes or, you know, some of the kids that are, are, are selling lemonade for a dollar and that sort of thing. We do all those things. We don't put it anybody, we don't encourage pedestrians to go in the roundabout in the middle, but we do it off to the side. We so, have a lot of fun with it. And so they're, they've almost become a tourist attraction. I think some people have actually come here to see the roundabouts. Uh, we uh, do a lot of things that uh, encourage people to come to our city, and and the roundabouts are always a bit of a curiosity, I believe. And, and aren't some of them, as I as I've been reading, uh, decorated in some ways? Either they have artwork or they have other kind of special design features. Well, we're trying to either landscape our roundabouts with flowers and trees to make them beautiful. You know, all cities, you know, cities should be beautiful places. Um, and then about 10% of our roundabouts, we have um, commissioned artists to put large sculptures in the middle of the roundabouts. Sometimes people say to me, oh, I can't see across the roundabout now and see who's coming. I say, that's right. We actually find the roundabouts flow better if there is something in the middle. And it forces people to look to the left for the gap in traffic, which is what they're supposed to be doing, not looking all the way across the roundabout. What other lessons have you, you and your engineers learned since putting in these roundabouts, have there been some uh, unique, interesting things that you you all have learned that you have then instituted in other roundabouts? Well, I, I think that's one of them is that building up those middles uh, to, to encourage people just to look to the left for the gap is important. That roundabouts are also great places uh, for public art, for beautiful landscaping to make the community look nice. You know, I don't think anybody's ever sat there and admired the look of a traffic light, (laughs) but we do have people that come and admire the public sculptures 
in in our circles and that's one way to uh, you know we don't have the mountains that uh you do just west of denver and we don't have uh oceans uh here and, and so we have to do everything we can to make our city a beautiful place for the people that live and work here that's how we compete uh uh for jobs and economic development uh beautiful cities are important particularly for people that don't have the money to travel to beautiful places across the globe. Everybody deserves to live in a city that's beautiful. And putting beautiful things around about is one way we do that. Speaking of jobs, are your traffic engineers bored? Uh, only <laughs> only working on roundabouts? Not really <laughs> oh, doing no, any other interesting intersections? <laughs> uh, we, we do, we, we're not afraid to try new things if we think there's a better solution out there. You think about it. We've been designing cities for thousands of years, but we've only been designing cities with cars in them. You know, we didn't get over 25% car ownership until after World War II. So it's only been about 75 years since uh, we started designing cities for motor vehicles. And, and so we've made a lot of mistakes. And so we're always willing to try new things if we think it can improve traffic flow and safety. Well, ancient Rome, they were brilliant about the way they built roads, mostly to move large armies from one place to another, but they were uh, brilliant at the roads that they created. They were, and I've used that many times when I talk with people in the public. I said, you know, the Romans had it figured out. They knew that to run a successful country, they had to be able to move goods and people efficiently and safely. And that's what the Roman roads did. Do you have any uh, t-shirts like uh, I'm, you know, pro roundabout t-shirts or, or any fun t-shirts that uh, have roundabout pictures on them? We have. In fact, you can go to the <laughs> website of the All Things Carmel store and buy all sorts of roundabout uh, memorabilia, including t-shirts that say, I love roundabouts. And does that money go back to the, uh, to the city and help out other people? Exactly. It's it's a not-for-profit store that uh, sells things that uh, people who live in or visit Carmel might want to buy. Oh, that's great. Uh, I, I said at the, at the start of this that you were in your seventh four-year term. You're going to run for an eighth? Yes, I am. All right. I, I, when's the end? I, I don't know yet, but uh, <laughs> there's still a lot to do. We've got a great team of talented people here at City Hall, uh, and it's fun. You know, not many, you know, this is a community effort, just not our administration, but how many communities get to build a brand new city? And that's what we've been able to do here. A city that was 20,000 people 27 years ago and today is over 100,000 people. That not only is a lot of fun, it's a great responsibility. And and we want to try to continue shaping and, and building one of the great uh, cities in the United States. And do you think maybe the roundabouts have been a little bit of a, uh, a, a contributing factor to having people wanting to move to Carmel? I think so. I think that's one thing along. We, we focus on making our streets beautiful. One thing we did, you might find interesting, uh, golden Colorado did this as well. A few years ago, we put, uh, one of our major roads on what I called a road diet. We took a five lane road with a center, left-hand turn lane and because and took out all the stoplights because the roundabouts move so much more traffic per hour than a traffic light 50 percent more we were able to get rid of one lane each direction 
And because we had roundabouts, people just go to the next roundabout, go around the roundabout and do a U-turn. We, we got rid of that middle turn lane and put in a median with flowers and trees. Um, we put public art in the, uh, in the circles, uh, added a bike lane. And so it's a much, you know, there's a tree canopy now growing over the street. It helps with the heat island impact of a street. Uh, it's a much more beautiful street, uh, but it's moving 8% more cars per hour than it did when we had stoplights. That's with three fewer lanes. Well, as, as such an advocate of uh, roundabouts, I think you should maybe get some kind of a finder's fee of a couple of percent every time <laughs> another city uh, co- contacts you for help. With, with- I like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, Mayor, I appreciate your time very much. Well, it's great to be with you. And if you ever get to this part of Indiana, please give me a call. I'd love to drive you around and show you some roundabouts. Perfect. Yeah. Roundabout I'll, art. I'll be, I'll be there two hours away in, in the mid of the mid summer with my uh, baton twirling girl. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> look forward to it. Mayor James Brainerd. Thank you so much for, uh, for being here and all your time. Great. Bye Jason. So after hearing that, are you uh, on team roundabout or not on team roundabout? That remains the question. You can always let me know in uh, the description of this show is all my contact links. You could just say pro roundabout or team roundabout or not <laughs> anti roundabout. Uh, you can also leave a message on the listener hotline at 303-832-0217. I still receive a lot of complaints from drivers, mostly about other drivers who don't know how to use a roundabout. So uh, maybe education is key uh, for the roundabout users and maybe in a, in a city like Carmel, where so many people are used to using them, it's like anything. If, if you if you see them all the time, you're you're gonna be more comfortable using them. If you see them only infrequently, maybe you're gonna be more intimidated by them. So it's understandable that some people have a, a tough time with it. Uh, and it is hard. I, I could see in some situations where where someone might be intimidated to enter the roundabout just ahead of another driver, but but that's kind of the way it works. You have to be willing to move as other people are still moving. Someone's coming towards you, but if there's enough of the space, you are going to be moving too. So just move in front of those people and and just, it's a delicate dance. It's almost like driving in Central American countries or in Mexico. Uh, I think they have a more unpretentious flow to their driving. I don't think they're the people there uh, have as much of a hang up about their cars being an extension of their own personal space as Americans do. And I think that helps traffic flow better in, in my opinion, in, in those different countries when I've driven there. I think if, if drivers overall in the United States would be less offended when they get past or, or someone wants to go around them, um, and, and traffic would flow better. If, if we just stop taking driving so personally, <laughs> And just let the traffic flow and, and, and let it go, then I think we would all get to where we want to go quicker and, and safer. Anyway, you, you can always leave me a comment uh, in the description of the show. Thanks again to uh, the mayor for being on. Thanks again for you to listening this to this fine show. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring. <laughs>